Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is the Slow Poisoner. I come to you from the future with these words of warning. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot horror planet. It's a Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 94. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Attention comic book fans, Lee's Comics of Mountain View, California has closed. But here's the good news. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale for half off. Choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar, scroll down to Sellers, and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S. INC period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this. This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davy, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover, and this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer. Announcer? That's me. Get Headquartered, a timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today.
cool. I'm going to get one today. I'm still plugging away on my Mad and Disney books, and there's no real news about my Warren Kramer book or my TTV scrapbook, but the holidays are coming up, so you can order my other books as gifts. There's books about Harvey Comics, Archie Comics, The Beatles, Dennis the Menace, Cracked, Disney, Patty Freeling, Total Television, Jack Davis, John Severin, and The Monkees. You can order my books on Amazon or through the Bear Manor Media website. Thank you very much. Today we feature one of the biggest fans of EC Comics, the people who brought you Tales from the Crypt, Weird Science, and Mad. Here he is, Tommy Burns. On the phone today, we have Tommy Burns. How are you, sir? I'm very good. How are you, Mark? I'm doing well. Um, so I usually start off uh, by asking, tell me a little bit about yourself, and in your case, how you got into EC Comics. Well, a little bit about myself. So I am a child of the 60s, just barely. I was born in the summer of 1969, so I like to say I was still together while the Beatles were officially still together. But um, the uh, the EC Comics thing kind of uh, has come to define my interests because it's what I've specialized in and focused on. And when I was 10 years old, I discovered the Nostalgia Press book called EC Horror Comics of the 1950s or the EC Horror Library, depending on whether or not you're looking at the cover or the spine of it. <laughs> and my nickname for it with my little brother, Josh, was The Big Book, and it had a huge influence on us. It was our introduction to EC Comics, and it's um, it's an interest that, you know, interests kind of come and go, and, and as you age, you, you get in and out of different things and you go through phases, but um, EC Comics was the one thing that I never really outgrew and that I maintained a high level of interest in throughout my life. So it's been, what, at this point, 40 years <laughs> worth of EC collecting for me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> now, now how, how long was it before... Uh, you, you you got the big book uh, between that and actually obtaining either a reprint or an actual EC comic from the 50s. Well, it's funny because I got the big book from the library, and um, we, we kind of devoured that. And in the inside flap of it, it's got a picture of Bill Gaines in, as he appeared in 1971. And um, it mentioned him publishing Mad Magazine. And so I was able to make that connection. And uh, I, uh, I wasn't allowed to buy Mad Magazine, so my parents felt like Cracked was okay, <laughs> but that Mad was a pretty insidious influence, and Mad was not allowed in the house. But I found one of those Mad Magazines that had a nostalgic Mad bound in, and I realized this is an EC comic. So yeah. that was actually my first EC comic was the Nostalgic Mad number 8, and I believe it was in the fall of 1980 super special. Whenever that came out, I found it at People's Drug, and I was so excited to see a real EC comic of sorts. Yeah. And that was my first one. After that, I did get a few EC comics reprints from East Coast Comics, and that was, I'd say, about a year after I discovered the big book. We're talking around 1980, 81, because I do distinctly remember getting my first real original EC comic in 1981 at a comic convention that my folks took me to. So for all of their disapproval of Mad Magazine, they really weren't unsupportive of the comic collecting, and they did take us to comic conventions and things. And so I've been buying original EC comics, and 
amassing that collection since 1981. Hmm. Now, were they looking in your Easy Comics? Obviously, they said Mad was a no-no. <laughs> Did they look at it, any of the Tales from the Crypts, even the reprints, or even in the big book? I mean, it's like... There's some nasty shit in there <laughs> a little bit. You know? So, yeah, my, my father was not okay with it. And I have a distinct memory from the 70s of, uh, you know, you, I was like a lot of kids in the 70s, and we would go around with piles of comic books and go to the front doorsteps and trade comic books. And I ended up with a House of Mystery comic. And when my father found it, he said, horror comics? I thought they banned these. So that stigma about horror comics was lingering for another 20 years afterwards with my father. My mother, on the other hand, remembered reading EC Comics with her friends when she was growing up in Pennsylvania, and it was very familiar to her, and she didn't object, and she also would read the EC Comics that we would bring home, and they brought back a lot of memories for her. Hmm. <laughs> so she, she voted down my father because it was my little brother and I, and then my mother was on our side, so we got to read EC Horror Comics. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> See, I never had such darn luck like that. You know, it's like um, my parents were like very open to anything I read, and I'll, I'll tell you my story briefly. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So I'm a few years older than you. I was born in '66. Um, the first Mad I got w was uh, the Super Special 14 that had these crazy Don Martin posters in 1974. And we were just at the grocery store, and my sister pointed it out. She says, look at this guy's artwork. It's crazy. And I go, wow. And I went to my mom, can we buy this? And she goes, okay. <laughs> you know, so that was my first exposure to Mad. Um, there was no objection. No. And uh, then when I brought it home, my dad looked at it, and he says, well, I read Mad when I was a kid. Now, my dad has been known, he's still around, but my dad's been known to tell an occasional tall tale you know, or exaggeration. <laughs> um, so I didn't believe him. I said, because I said, wow, this is way too hip for the room here. And, uh, you know, because I, I was thinking 70s mad was what was on in the 50s, what they were making in the 50s. So, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and I said, this can't possibly be true, especially because the Super Special's number 14, you know, well, I didn't know there's a whole bunch of earlier annuals and other things. Um, and then I got my first regular issue is 172, even though I saw a few other ones. I, I think the actual first one I saw was the finger cover, but I knew that was like pushing... Well, the to make an impression. Yeah, I knew I probably couldn't get my mom to buy that one. Yeah, that was a little push. <laughs> so, you know, I waited until there was like a, a, a you know, pretty harmless cover. But they were pretty lenient on things. I mean, within a year, I was buying Lampoon and everything else. So it's like, but I didn't know. So <laughs> but then yeah. I, I, like you, um, the next Super Special had one of those nostalgic mad reprints in there. And uh, it was number three. It had Frankenstein and Little Orphan Melvin and a couple others. I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, And I showed it to my dad. And he goes, that's what I used to read. And I go, oh, <laughs> It all makes sense now. Yeah, maybe you weren't lying or exaggerating. He goes, no, it was, a, it was a comic book. And my dad said, yeah, I said, so why did you stop reading Mad? Because, see, I've never stopped. I've been reading it since I was seven. So, so yeah. I said, stop reading comics? What caused that? Uh, he goes, well, I didn't like it when it switched to a magazine. <laughs> and I, oh, wow. I, I could see his point because, I mean, you know, 
that must have been a real shock going from issue 23 to suddenly this big black and white quarter uh, 25 cent thing, you know, that has lots of text and, you know, you know. Very different stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it evolved into, you know, something different and greater, but it's like, I'm sure that was a big jar uh, to the average reader, so they probably lost a lot of readers at that time, as well as gaining a bunch of readers. I don't know. So, but it's a whole different audience, I think, and it's funny because I think we had the experience that so many have had of many different generations of that revelation that Mad was a ten cent comic book. That yeah. discovery, you know, I, th I think any of us that are still into this, whether it's from a aesthetic or historical or whatever our interest is, yeah. pop culture, it's just that that moment when you realize, oh shit, Mad was a ten cent comic book. That's <laughs> how it started, and then putting the pieces together, and for me to realize that. So many of these, because I had the experience in reverse that I think a lot of people who have gotten into EC Comics by way of Mad had, is that I started with the interest in EC Comics. So when I was recognizing Jack Davis or Wallace Wood or Joe Orlando, or, or it was in reverse, I knew them from EC, and then I went, <laughs> oh shit, they wrote for Mad, they drew for Mad. And it was years later until I realized, okay, Gaines and Feldstein, and it's all part of the same family, but putting those puzzle pieces together is um it's something that we all have in common but i think we all came about it in slightly different ways you know yeah well well it's funny you mentioned jack davis jack davis I, when he was in mad i said hey this is the guy who draws for time magazine and tv guide and sesame street <laughs> you know it's like i knew him from other things i didn't know him from mad it's like and i you know for some reason i didn't know that the jack davis this is how dumb I was as a kid. You know, the Jack Davis currently drawing, we're talking about in 75, 76, in Mad, was the same Jack Davis that was in the early Mads way back in the 50s, yeah. and also was in the horror comics. It's like, I, I, is this really the same guy? I didn't, you know, it's like, how does that work, you know? Well, it's funny because my brother-in-law was slightly older than me, so in the early 80s, he saw the Tales from the Crypt covers and did the same thing. He went, Wait, 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 because Jack Davis was ubiquitous in the 70s. He he, he was everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, and he looked at me like, is that how this guy got started? And at the time, I didn't I didn't know. I just went, well, while he was working back then, he, he did Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. Everybody knows that, you know. But, but you know, now we know, of course, that is really where, where he got his big start. He did a lot of earlier work and advertising work and things, you know, while he was in the Navy or at college. But... Tales from the Crypt, he really didn't have a lot of professional experience before he started with the EC Horror Comics. Right. <laughs> and so it's so funny to see him go, I know this guy, this guy's everywhere, you know? <laughs> <laughs> now, um, when, you know, I did, I did see the, the big book around, and I've heard this story before, and I think it is true, is it remaindered at a higher price than what it originally was sold at. And so I remember seeing it like in the mid to late 70s at stores like Gemco and stuff like that. And so I'd always like peruse it, but, you know, my parents didn't want to spend that money. You know, it was 25 or 30 bucks or something, which was a lot of money back in the 70s. Not so much now, but, you know, it's like, yeah. Well, it was really unusual because <laughs> it was remaindered, and, and if not at a higher price, I know it was a full price where you never found bargain copies of it. Right. And um, initially... 
And the Salter Press had advertised it, I think, at like eleven ninety five or something. And when it came out, it was nineteen ninety five. So you're talking almost twenty bones for uh, that, that was a lot of money. I don't know, how, you know, I, I'm not going to do the math on adjusting for inflation, but what you can get it for now that people talk about, I found a copy for eighty or a hundred bucks, is probably adjusted yeah. less than it was when it came out brand new. Yeah, I, I always so say most prices from them is probably ten times as much. So yeah, a hundred bucks now, you know. Yeah, and um, it was it was um, one that I checked out from the library often because I could have never afforded to buy a copy at <laughs> ten years old. <laughs> um, I think I checked it out of the library, but I think I only checked it out maybe once or twice, and then it mysteriously vanished. <laughs> so I know somebody <laughs> stole it. You know, it didn't last in my library very long. So, oh well. Have well. you got a copy now? You must have a copy. I now. do have a copy now, but I only bought it a couple of years ago. You know, I, I said I should buy one of these. You know, it's like I've always wanted it, and then it just kind of, it, it was either insanely high, like I've, you know, mine has like pieces out on the dust jacket, but at least it's it's complete, and so yeah. I'm happy with it. I mean, well, the dust jackets are notorious for self-destructing. It's very hard to find the dust jacket, and I don't know what kind of paper it's printed on, but I they get shredded. <laughs> it took me a while to find one with a really pristine dust jacket. Right. And, uh, you know, the ones I was seeing that were pristine, I've seen them for like $300, $400, and I go, I don't want to spend that much on this book, even though, you know, you know. I mean, yeah. one th one thing you'll, you'll know about me is like uh, – is you know you, you guys on this uh uh ec fan page the fan attic page on facebook uh you're all saying oh it's a bargain it's only 300 bucks it's like shit i've only spent close to that once in my life and it was for mad number one i paid 400 dollars for it and the only reason i did is uh my friend lee of lee's comics um he he says mark he's a cool guy yeah he says mark you have Every issue, you could, you need number one. And I go, uh, I have the reprint, I have the Cochrane set, I have the, you know, it's like a, I have the Millennium one. And he goes, yeah, but you don't have an original. And he's like flashing it in my face. And he made this incredible deal. He says, look, I'll buy it back from you for whatever you paid for it. So if you ever get in a money crunch, you know, of course, I'm not going to do that now, but this has been a few years. But at the time... So you knew you wouldn't be out that money. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he says, I'll let you buy it on time. And I go, all right. You know, so he kept a little chart, and I'd give him $50 here, $40 here, you know, just... And then finally, I think I got a tax it. refund, and I got a couple hundred bucks. Finally paid it off. It took me about a year to do it, you know. And, and, uh, well, I'll tell you that um, at today's prices for those original comics... I, um, my brother and I, in the 80s, we were fixated on completing the horror titles, and we weren't really interested in getting anything else. So we did complete Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, Haunt of Fear, uh, Crime Suspense Stories, and Shock Suspense Stories. And then for a long while, many years, those were the only five titles I had complete. And um, I would read and enjoy them. I wasn't, you know, much of a preservationist. Um, and I still got all of those comics. It wasn't until recently that I started buying everything else. So mad... Number one is the only comic mat I don't have. I've got two through 23, yeah. and I don't have one, and I just keep watching the prices escalate beyond where, you know, I, I, technically I guess I could afford a copy, but it just seems ridiculous to me after buying all those Tales from the Crypts and things in the 80s to pay what a mad number one commands so now, now. You know where I'm at, so, you know, because, you know, I, I bought okay, all you know, my mads. 
Yeah, I bought all my Mads way back when for a buck and stuff like that. I mean, I I paid a little bit more for like number twenty four through thirty, let's say, and assorted. Wasn't it your um? It was your Mad Comics in the ECR show, the big show in Eugene, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, my Mad number one through four were in there. And so that comic we sold you was in an art show. Yes, it was. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And he knew about it. He didn't come up to see it, but he took photos. And I said, look. <laughs> and unfortunately, we didn't get to meet at that show, you know, because uh, uh, I was planning to to go to the get-together that everyone had. And it just bums me out that I just didn't force myself. But I was exhausted because the night before, <laughs> um, they had uh, a party for the museum and everybody, which everybody else didn't go to. And we stayed out really late eating dinner and doing other things. And even though... Yeah, I remember I was a little, uh, I was disgruntled that I had missed a preview party. But um, most of us, as you know, all the Fanatic Club members flew out the next day. Yeah. And I think I talked to you at the time and you had said, I'm really sorry I missed you guys, but I was so worn out. Yeah. And, you know, so I didn't see that little Wally Wood set up or whatever and i didn't meet everyone face to face and everything like that i'm like wow you know <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was funny timing because we were there for the well i guess it was the opening night it was it was the opening night yeah. and um you had been there the night before and all leading up to that and um I know we were in touch that day, and you had said, I'm exhausted. <laughs> yes, and which is not like me usually. I mean, usually I can kind of force myself to go, but I was just like, I was not feeling it. And for some reason, I thought there was going to be more, although I did do more things. I mean, I did attend some of the uh, guest speakers, well, and, I, that, right? and I even did a talk on Kurtzman. So, yeah. uh, you know, so it, it, yeah, I, got, I got my... Uh, you know, whatever out of it, but you know, it's like it, it just was like you probably actually got to enjoy the show more than we did because we all kind of we pined for the fact that we all flown in and yeah. it was a whirlwind and it was so dizzying, and then we all flew home because we were just there for the weekend, if that. <laughs> and um, it was it was there was not much time to really drink it in because it was an overwhelming display. Yeah, it was, and I didn't know what they were going to do. I mean, my story with it is. I moved to Oregon in 2015, and uh, I, they had a comic convention uh, shortly after, and saying, and there's a sign saying, uh, "We need your artwork and samples and anything to do with EC uh, because we're putting an art show in 2016." And I go, "Oh, cool!" You know, and so I did a little research. I called around and I got in contact with Ben Samuels and. He's the one putting it on, and uh, he says, yeah, what do you got? And I go, well, I don't have any original artwork, but I do have some comics, and I have Seduction of the Innocent, which made it into the show, and some paperbacks. Oh, that was and, yours, too. Yeah, that was mine, too. <laughs> and uh, so I, 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 I didn't, you know, and those are all my paperbacks, I think. I know I put Mad Reader in there, but, I, you know, maybe I didn't get all the other ones. I don't remember. <laughs> and then I did have Mad 1 through 4 and Mad 24 in there. I'd have to yeah. look. I'd, and they had, for the longest time, it seemed like, you know, because after the show closed, it wasn't like, here it is. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, but they were very careful with it and everything like that. And, you know, I, I, I really liked how they did. And they explained how that museum is actually... 
a very secure museum and they explained everything and I go, whoa, okay, you know, and he says, not all museums yeah, no, have this. very legit. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, way, the way it was presented, it did feel like DC and MAD were in a real art museum. It wasn't it just was, a little yeah. someone threw together, you know? And I had discovered the museum only a short time earlier and they had uh, original uh, Shakespeare folios and those were so you know, whatever, <laughs> that they had a security guard standing right next to it. They didn't want anybody touching those things. So, yeah. Yeah, that seems like those could be a little rare. <laughs> Maybe slightly more than a mat number one. <laughs> yes, and even though the thing was in a case, you know, they still, they didn't want anybody tampering with anything, so they had an armed guard standing right next to it, and I was like, whoa, you know. <laughs> well, we were, because um, I, I was there with a, another BC Fanatic Club member and an old friend of mine named Sean, and we both have tattoos of that Kurtzman vampire from Mad Number 3. <laughs> so we were trying to arrange ourselves with the uh, original art from Mad Number 3 so you could see our tattoos and the original cover, and um, at one point I got too close to it, I guess, and, and someone did come up and say, I need you to stand back from the over. Oh. And, uh, you know, I had to temper my umbrage with a little understanding because I know, you know, it, it's an art museum, but at the same time, our excitement level was kind of through the roof. Yeah. Um, but um, they held on to your stuff for a while? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, because they wanted to take photos and everything else and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, you know, I wasn't upset. It's just that, you know, it's it's the timing of everything. It's like, you know, you're all ready to pick it up. And it's like, nope, we're, we still need it for a little while longer. Is that all right? I go, I Crazy. guess I guess so. You know? <laughs> I wonder how, guys, because I wondered about, um, you know, Jim Halpern and Roger Hill and Grant Geisman and these guys who um, loaned one-of-a-kind original pieces of yeah. artwork. And, um, you know, they did say they crated them up very carefully, and then, they, you know, they personally came and picked them up. And then, but, uh, but the whole process of being without that stuff yeah. would have made me very nervous. Yeah. Do you, do you know the one person that uh, didn't return the phone calls, and so his piece of artwork did not make it in the show? Hmm. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> It would have been nice to have Mad Number One. Yeah, they tried. Ben said he tried. He 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 got hold of Spielberg's secretary or assistant or whatever, and he said, "Well, we're trying, you know." But Stephen, I guess, wasn't interested. He, you know, so I don't know where he keeps it. He keeps it in the loo or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I guess if you're Steven Spielberg, you can do whatever you want with the Mad Number One art. <laughs> But um, correct me if I'm wrong, but they had almost every other, or at least they had every issue of Mad represented with some piece of original art. I yeah, know Glenn yeah. Ray had some covers in there, and I mean, uh, I was excited to see the ones I really wanted to see, but I think almost everything was there. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the ones that weren't, obviously, were the ones that no longer exist. So, I mean, yeah. um, due Which, to fire and, story. you know, <laughs> everything like yeah. that, and uh, um I don't. I don't know the story. Maybe you know know this is the original cover artwork for Mad Number Eight. Uh, I know John Putnam had to redraw it for the Nostalgic Mad reprint. He did a pretty good job, but uh, he he did a great job. There's a few differences that you can tell, like yeah. there's a falling brick where the proportions aren't quite right, and the Kurtzman signature isn't quite right. right. I've, I've studied that scene practically with a magnifying glass, <laughs> and there's some subtle differences, but um. I don't know where the original, I don't think anyone knows where the original art went. That was one of those odd situations where they went to um, 
photograph the original art for Nostalgic Mad, and they put in, you know, games had full issues together. So you'd pull out an envelope of all of one issue, and it had the cover and all four stories, and that one was missing. Yeah. And so they had Putnam redo it for the Nostalgic Mad that it was on, and then Russ Cochran didn't know that it had been redone. Ooh. And there was a huge... Um, kind of an uproar where the original art was offered and then it was pulled and then it was relisted as a recreation but then subsequently it surfaced again being represented as the original yeah. and I'll be honest I don't know that whole story and I wish I did because it sounds like it's filled with espionage and intrigue because um, <laughs> the cover for Mad Number no. 8 that exists that is out there is, is a, as you know, it's a redo from the 70s. Right. But I don't think anyone knows where the... And there were a few pieces of ECR, so for Mad Comics, that's the big one that was missing, but um, Johnny Craig had to redo quite a few of his covers for Vault of Horror, and uh, John Severin redid some of the Two-Fisted Tales covers because there was cover art that was just found to be missing from the game's vault, and <laughs> no one knew quite what had happened to it. Hmm. Now, has any artwork ever been recovered post yes. Cochran's book? Okay. Yes. All right. I don't know all so, this. Okay. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a few odd stories. And that's what gives me hope that some of this stuff may be out there because one of my absolute favorite EC horror covers is for Vault of Horror number 18. And it's where the corpse is coming out of the wishing well and oh, the guy okay. and the girl are about to kiss. And that was recreated by Johnny Craig for Russ Cochran's EC horror library or for EC, uh, the complete EC library. And um, th that has never surfaced. And I'm just waiting for it to emerge sometime, you know, just to come back from the grave, right? Because <laughs> um, there was a Johnny Craig cover, and it was War Against Crime number three. You can tell if you look at the um, Crime Patrol and War Against Crime library set that Russ put out, that that is of kind of lesser quality. Well, it was reproduced from a print comic. Since then, the original art turned up at a small southern auction within the last... It's since I started the Fanatic Club on Facebook, and that was in 2013, so it was, it was within the last probably five or six years. That original artwork turned up with very dated-looking 60s framing on it, and God knows how it ended up in a private collection decades ago. But it was missing from the games vault, and it's since resurfaced. Another big one was one of the ones that John Severin had recreated was um, Two-Fisted Tales number 36. He redid it for, again, Russ's Complete EC Library, and subsequently, it turned up in the collection of Jerry DeFuccio. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, after he passed, there was, you know, and I, and I almost thought, oh my God, what other original EC art might be in his collection, you know? But that's the only cover I know of that was recovered from his, uh, you know, personal stash, and again, no one knows quite how he got it, or why it didn't resurface when it was known that it was missing, but there you go. It, it, it resurfaced and ended up being auctioned through Heritage. And Roger Hill did the restoration of all the um, text elements, you know, the logos and the emblems and things like that, because all that was missing when the original art was found. Mm -hmm. That's two cases I know of where original art thought to be lost has uh, has resurfaced. So there's hope for... Uh, some of the, but the, you know, the Vault of Horror covers that Johnny Craig redid for the EC library, mm -hmm. God knows where they are. And there was a flood in the Craig home in Pennsylvania, and um, there was original art destroyed. So, you know, it's possible that some of his original EC art was destroyed in the flood that affected his basement. Mm. Wow. <laughs> 
Now, has any of this recovered artwork been reproduced anywhere? So someone like me doesn't have to pay a zillion dollars for an original? <laughs> uh, well, there's there's great reproductions of the original art from, like, IDW with the Artist Edition series and things oh, like okay. that. Oh, okay. But, um, you know, Heritage, God bless them for having really, really high-res scans. And if you, you know, whether or not you bid on their auctions, if you're a member of Heritage... You can, you've got access to these really, really, really nice large scans. So anything that they've auctioned, okay. you can at least see it in okay. great detail. And that's where I saw, you know, so now you can get images of Severin's recreation of Two Fisted Tales 36. You can get it without any of the text elements there. It's just the artwork. And you can also get it with, uh, you know, the restoration that Roger Hill did. And all those images taken together kind of tell a story, but it's all out there now. Oh, okay, good. I, I just didn't want it to be like, oh, it was uh, found and then sold to some other rabid collector, and end of story. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah, these things that are in private collections are, are, are tantalizing, but they're frustrating because you do want, and, you know, again, God bless these guys for sharing their collections and things like the Eugene Art Show because uh, near mortals can't, I, I can't afford original cover art at this point you know yeah but i do love to be able to see it and um those those artist editions i don't know if you've got any of the ec artist editions that idw has put out i only got they're the mad one of course <laughs> yeah well the mad one is a good that's the first one i got actually yeah. um it just seemed like that was just such a treasure trove of material um but uh, i ended up i ended up getting all of them but that mad one is um it's it's I think the thing that makes that unique is that it's also got a lot of Kurtzman's cover roughs, yep. and it's got some production elements in addition to the published art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, that's, that gives you a good sense of what the art looks like at full size. Right. Uh, I think it's as close as, as cheap guys like us are going to get to being able to see it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, um <laughs> I'm probably cheaper than you because I mean it's like I, you know as far as the Cochrane sets I only have Mad and Panic and it's the Color Mad at, at, to boot. Um, I'd love to have I'd love to have all the other stuff. I mean you know the only thing I you know my reprints uh, are all the um, 32 page reprints that they put out uh, during the 90s and I got a complete run of okay. those. Um, I did have a few originals, but I actually sold them off because, you know, they're starting to skyrocket and I need money. Of course, now they're way higher now, but I, other than my mads and my panics, I own no original ECs from the 50s, so I'm like, oh, well, yeah, but... It's a catch-22, and it really is, especially if you're a collector, because I've got all the Cochrane sets for reading and referencing, because when I started the EC Fanatic Club page, I was reading and referencing my original comics, and, um... You know, a lot of people would probably gasp and call me a heretic, but uh, I would notice that, like, pieces were flaking off of them as I would leaf through them, because I'm not a condition freak. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, some of my comics are well-led and worn, and some of them are getting a little flaky, <laughs> but I thought to myself, the prices on these are going up, and I should try to preserve them. And that's when I finally knuckled under and got the Cochrane sets. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've, I've saved all of my comic books, but you talk about, like, you watch the prices skyrocket, and sometimes it's it's hard not to see dollar signs because um, this crime suspense story is twenty two with the decapitation cover. Right. It's just it's gotten hotter than hot, and the prices have gotten ridiculous over the last five or six years. And um, 
I paid $45 for my copy in the year 2000, mm-hmm. and it really wasn't valued in Overstreet any higher than number 21 or 23 at the time. Right. And um, I look at that and I go, well, mine's a solid good, and I wonder how much I could get for that now. But then I think, if I did that, because I saw the dollar signs, then I'd be stuck with crime suspense stories 1 through 21 and 23 through 27, and I'd always kick myself for getting rid of that one issue that, that would have completed the set, you know. So I've been able to control myself thus far, as, you know, and I haven't cashed in on my original ECs. Yeah. I, I think it'd be better for you, but you could do whatever you want. It's your collection. I would, <laughs> I would sell them as runs, you know. It's like, you know, it, but at a premium, you know, it's like, yeah, you can get all 27 issues, but it's going to cost you, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because, well, I mean, how easy is it to read. get the whole set all at once now, you know, in pr- pretty good condition? I mean, I'm sure yours are at least very good to find, right? Yeah, they're, they're fairly nice. I've got some that... Um, are, are, are beaters, and they tend to be the earliest issues, and it's stuff that I picked up when I was much younger. And, um, and so what happened there was when the prices started to skyrocket, I, I just threw my upgrade list away because I already had the issues. And when I was younger, I was content just to have them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I didn't get, you know, concerned with condition until I was older. And now if I wanted those same issues to upgrade in really nice condition – it would be, we're back to, it's more than I want to pay. So right. I have that in common with you, is that I refuse to pay ridiculous amounts for things that <laughs> that I know how affordable they were for me, you know, when I was younger. Yeah, and that makes it tough. Yeah, I agree with you. It's like, you know, it's like, if you're paying, you know, I have no problem paying up to $100 on any comic book if I want it bad enough. But it's like, after that, I'm like... Is there a reprint out there or something? (laughs) Well, when you get into things like that, the the really, um, well, let's say Gaines File copies. um, I have a Gaines File copy of one of the New Direction comics, and it's just because I wanted to at least have one comic that I knew was a Gaines. But I purchased it very affordably, collector-to-collector pricing from another member of the Fanatic Club. And uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have it because I'm not going to pay eight grand for a comic book, even <laughs> if it did belong to Bill Gaines, you know? Right. So it's, it's amazing to me people pay, the, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, pay, pay me 8000 for your comic, you know, but to, I know people are, are paying that. I don't know. I don't know them personally. I'd be like, wow, are you crazy? But <laughs> anyway. Well, they are folks, and I, I certainly don't want to disparage them because uh. more power to them if they can... Yeah. Uh, if they can do it, I, I wish I could do it. But um, there, there are people in the group that you can certainly one-on-one interact with, and right. I, I don't know a lot of them personally myself. But um, you know, they're there, and it's 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 interesting to me how many different levels of fandom there are. There's people who are purely into the history. There's people who are purely into enjoying the stories, and then there's people who are really high rollers yeah. who want the best of the best. And it means something to them to have the most pristine copies, whether or not you ever touch them or read them. Yeah. And in most cases, you can't because now they're encapsulated in plastic. But, um, right. you know, that's that's their focus. And, and all of us kind of come together to form this weird dysfunctional family, you know? Yeah. I mean, I have, I'm so <laughs> glad there's somebody out there that uh, doesn't mind paying the high prices and actually keeping pristine mint copies of these things because I'd be so terrified that, let's say if I had one of those much sought after 
you know, haunt of fear issues or whatever, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, then, you know, I lost it in a flood or, you know, I bent it when I pulled it out or something, you know. It's like, I don't want to have that responsibility. <laughs> you know? so. Well, it's, it is. It's, it, we're kind of caretakers of history in a way. And um, it, it, many of the time that I've looked at my, my one single games file copy and thought, I really want to crack that out of the slab because I want to be able to touch it and I want to be able to inhale the smell of the fresh printer's ink. But I've resisted so far. Yeah. And I do, you know, there's a feeling, and I'm sure anyone that collects can think of an example of something that they, they either ruined or at least devalued. And it's a horrible feeling because you know that this thing has survived and it's got a story to tell. And somehow you fucked it up and, and then you feel like, wow, <laughs> you know. Yep. Great. Why me? You know, yeah. and and it is. It's it's almost like a, the burden of responsibility of collecting is to try to kind of keep this stuff nice. Yeah. For the future. I mean, I try to keep my stuff nice, but I wouldn't want to buy like spend a, a fortune on something that's pristine mint, uh, and just I wouldn't know what to do with it. I'd be terrified to look at it. You know, it's like you know, what if I. If it pulls off the staple or something, <laughs> yeah. I like to be able to visit that stuff. But, um, you know, and I've got a few things that are really, really nice. And it's funny because for for years, my my little brother Josh and I, and he's one of my fellow admins of the EC Fanatic page. But um, we we pooled our resources, and when we were very young, that meant putting our allowances together. And when we were a little older and we had our first part-time jobs and things, we would coordinate so that we never bought the same things. And that way we had one collection together that we shared. And as we got older and we moved on and it's, it's college or it's jobs or whatever happens, um, we always wanted to keep the collection together. So what happened was he ended up getting a complete set of, you mentioned those 90s Russ Cochran reprints. Mm -hmm. He got a complete set of those annuals and I paid him off for his share, but what we did was figured out what we had really paid for this stuff, whether it was a used bookstores or comic conventions, and then I, I kind of bought out his half with visitation rights for him for life. <laughs> and um, it, it was, you know, it was funny because we never really worried too much about having the most pristine copies, and I've talked to other EC fans about this, because if you're at a comic convention and you could buy, for the money in your pocket, you could buy one really, really nice copy of something, or you could buy a pile of other ECs. You'd go for the quantity. Yeah. It was a yeah. matter of how many how many more can I afford, and you didn't worry so much about the condition. So, you know, collecting was a little different, I think, when we were much younger. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you may or may not know I'm the Harvey guy, so it's like I collected Harvey's. And, I do know that. Yeah. I know you're a Harvey guy and a cracked guy. Yeah, so um, it was it was always. Well, I, I know all about you. Okay, <laughs> he gets. Uh, it was it was always quantity over quality. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, I could get cracked number one. I'll use that as an example. But here's number forty through eighty five. You know, <laughs> I think I'll get those. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, but and it was. You know. And quantity over quality, knowing that everything you got was going to be quality aesthetically to you, you know, as far as your enjoyment was concerned. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because I guess a lot of us, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I would have gotten that Weird Science Fantasy 29 in better condition or that Crime Suspense Stories number 22 in better condition, or I would have bought the Mad number one <laughs> when it was only 40 bucks compared to 
850 bucks or whatever the case <laughs> is at the time I just wanted more yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I, I first found out about uh, the values of mad and stuff like that and uh, this is the 1976 price guide uh, and it said mad number one was $150 in mint and I go, I'll never be able to buy that, <laughs> you know, because I thought that was a fortune, $150, you know, and it's like, I did spend more than that, like I said, but, you know, it's like, <laughs> um, sh shifting gears a little bit, um, obviously your um, interest in EC, all things EC and the ability to write has gotten you some different jobs writing about EC. Um, yes. I was just kind of curious, you know, how did, how did you get the gig doing like, I don't know if you've done it for every one of them, but certainly a lot of them, the black and white, uh, volumes that Fantagraphics has been putting them out. So yeah, the EC Artist Library series, um, I've been doing those now for three or four years. I started with, um, there was a Cayman Horror volume called Daddy Lost His Head, mm -hmm. and that was the first one that I did for them. So prior to that... They had Bill Mason writing the introductions, and he's oh. a first-generation EC fan. And they also had some of those um, names you might recognize, like Fred Von Bernowitz, who mm -hmm. did the EC and Mad Checklists mm -hmm. back in the 50s and 60s. And uh, Larry Stark, who Bill Gaines named EC's number one fan. <laughs> so I felt like I was in very, very good company, but those guys preceded me. And um, the reason I got that gig was because Bob Stewart, another first-generation fan, and the guy that I would actually probably credit with giving birth to EC fandom because he did the very first EC fanzine in 1953 called the EC Fan Bulletin. And um, he, he, that was actually the inspiration for the official EC Fan Addict Club um, that, that you know EC officially launched with the EC Fanatic Bulletin. They kind of co-opted Bob Stewart's fanzine name. But um, Bob was someone who I was in touch with online. And when he was doing a greatly expanded and updated version of his Wallace Wood uh, collection, um, I think the original one was published by Two Morrows, and it was called Against the Grain. Oh, yeah. And he was working with Fantagraphics on... on a, a greatly expanded version of it, and he was a member of the EC Fanatic Club, and this was in 2013, and I just started this thing off. So one day I get an email from Bob Stewart, and he said, you know, I think you're doing a great job with the Fanatic Club, and you've got to keep this a secret for now, but I'm working on something with Wallace Wood, and I've got a lot of material collected, but I don't have anything on the preachies. Hmm. And, um... I thought, okay, well, that's, that's really cool. And at the time, he had just put me in touch with Larry Stark. And he'd actually asked me if I could pick, you know, just handpick a few Wallace Woods stories, Xerox them, and send them to Larry. Because he said he thought it would be great to get Larry to do easy story reviews like he did in the 50s. So when he's talking about the preachies, I immediately assumed, okay, you want me to pitch this to Larry Stark. Or, or you know, it's got to involve Larry somehow. And so he wrote back and he said, Rather than Larry doing this chapter, though, why don't you do it? Hmm. And I told him, I've never written before. I'm not a professional writer. <laughs> and he said, but I think you're doing a great job with the Fanatic Club page, and why don't you give it a shot? And I'm so glad that he did because I, I, I immersed myself in, in research and, and, you know, revisiting these stories. And so I wrote a chapter for um, 
Life and Legend of Wallace Wood is what it ultimately came to, to be. And it was a two-volume set from Fantagraphics. And um, my chapter is called Waking Up from the American Dream. And this is something I've never talked about with anyone, but that title came about because Bob said, I don't know what we're going to call it, though. It's got to have kind of a, you know, because all the chapters in this Life and Legend of Wallace Wood had clever titles or plays on the name Wood. And um, so he was calling it Wood Chips. And that was just a place saver title. We were never going to call it that. But um, he uh, he s- suggested a few things, and a couple of his suggestions were like, uh, you know, the American Scream was one of them. And I thought, well, what about waking up from the American Dream? And he just wrote back, perfect. And so I thought my head swelled, you know, and my hat sized because <laughs> Bob Stewart thought I had a, a cool title. Mm-hmm. But um, once I had done that. Uh, I had kind of an in with Fantagraphics, and so I wrote to Gary Gross at the time, and I said, are you interested in something for the Comics Journal on the history of EC fanzines and, 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 you know, EC fandom as a whole? And uh, I'm in touch with Bob Stewart. I'm in touch with Larry Stark. I'm talking to these guys, and and he said, yeah, that might be an interesting feature in the Comics Journal. So I ran away with it. And I sent it in to them thinking that it would be in the Comics Journal, either print or online or whatever. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. And um, he wrote back and said, how would you feel about putting it in the EC interview um, books? You know, they had done the EC Artists Part 1 for mm-hmm. the Comics Journal Library. And Part 2, he said, how about if we end it with your EC fandom history? And uh once I got done picking my job off the floor, I said, <laughs> yes, I would, I, I would be agreeable. <laughs> and um, so that was my in with Fantagraphics, doing that Wallace Wood thing for Bob Stewart, and then doing the history of EC fandom for the um, Comics Journal Library. And one day, just out of the blue, I got an email from Mike Catron, who is the editor of that EC Artist Library series. And he said, why don't you, yeah, well, how would you feel about writing an introduction? And so I didn't know which artist it would be. I didn't know what genre it would be. And um, I just said, yes, I would love to do it. <laughs> and uh, so that first one was a horror collection for Jack Kamen. And since then, I've done war collections on Davis and Wood and um, pre-trend and crime and early horror collections on Johnny Craig and Al Feldstein. And um, I've done a Graham Ingalls collection. And it's been really nice to... It's caused me to revisit these stories and to also read them in that artist-centric way has kind of opened up new narratives to me because I've been used to reading the old comics and and issue by issue. And to read a body of work by a single artist has been very interesting. And it's it's I think it's a very interesting way to present the stories. And, um, you know, some people love them, some people hate them, but it's been a very cool way to present the material in a, in a, in a collected form that they've never been offered before mm-hmm. these artist centric volumes. So I am still writing for those. There's a couple upcoming now on Graham Ingalls and George Evans. Um, I think the Graham Ingalls is due next month and the George Evans early next year. But, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do those as long as they would like me to do them. Now, do you have any, uh, say so in story selection or is it already done? And they just say, here, here's the next book. <laughs> Well, they've kind of got that worked out to to an ultimate 40 volumes, and I think that's something that probably Mike Ketron and Gary Gross sat down and and sort of semi-plotted these out. But one thing that uh, they hadn't planned on doing was including so much pre-trend material, Mm -hmm. and that's something that uh, I didn't have a direct influence on, but I'm certainly very 
uh, encouraging of. And I will tell you a story as far as I do have a little bit of influence over some of the content because I'm obsessed with minutia. And, um, and I don't know if you know this or not, and you probably do from just browsing the fanatic page, but, uh, when those, those really famous Ballantine collections of EC comics came out in the mid sixties. So Ballantine was publishing the EC paperbacks, uh, or the mad paperbacks. And then they did some collections of EC comics. Right. Well, for continuity's sake, they actually altered some of the original artwork in the 60s, and there's pasteovers and actually artwork that was changed on the original boards that all subsequent reprints have reflected. So in instances where I could catch changes in dialogue or, or just little things, we've been able to correct those for the Fantagraphics series. Hmm. So, so you're trying to get the... was originally published. Okay, you're trying to get the original version each time. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> kind of a restoration to what was originally published in the comics in the 50s and not what's been perpetuated down through the decades because of the alterations to the artwork for the Valentine paperbacks. But the most major one, and this afternoon I was actually hanging out with one of my fellow Fanatic Club admins, John Gothold, and um, mm -hmm. we were talking about Blind Alleys, which was in the final issue of Tales from the Crypt. And in that final issue of Tales from the Crypt, that story was presented by the Vault Keeper. But for continuity's sake... The artwork was changed so that the host was the crypt keeper for the Ballantine Tales from the Crypt paperback. And and all subsequent reprints have reflected that change to the crypt keeper. And um, I, I guess I'm giving away a, a secret right now, but uh, <laughs> the George Evans horror collection that's going to be coming from Penny Rapids, we were able to restore the vault keeper and his original dialogue in crisp black and white for the first time. Hmm. There's a scoop for you. So it was actually... The revised version and the Cochrane books and the 32-page floppies or whatever you want to call them and everything else all these years? It's um, It's been the Crypt Keeper in the EC archives, the digitally recolored series, um, and in Russ Cochrane's complete EC library, wow. the Tales from the Crypt volumes have the altered artwork. So even the dialogue doesn't really make sense in some cases because it's reflecting the continuity of the paperbacks and not the original comic books. I will give Russ Cochran credit because in the 32-page floppy of that issue, he cut and pasted the Vault Keeper in, but, and this is, again, deep minutia, but the word balloon shapes are wrong, oh. and the actual dialogue <laughs> is wrong because he had to fit it into the incorrect word balloons that were created for the Valentine paperback. So the Fanographics collection is going to be the first time that it's presented exactly as it was printed in the original comic. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, and that's, that's you, you know, when you talk about me influencing any of the content, it's more that obsession to detail stuff that maybe 99% of the reading audience wouldn't know about, but that the hardcore EC fans will hopefully appreciate. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does give you something different to collect, I guess. It's like, um, you know, if you ha for the person who has everything, let's say you have all the Cochrane stuff, you can say, well, there's something else that you don't have because exactly. we did it this way. Well, it's funny because <laughs> that question gets asked often is, how many times are we going to rebuy the same material? And my answer to that is, well, as long as it keeps being presented in new and exciting ways, yeah. we're, we're going to keep rebuying it. So, you know, you've got that Mad Artists edition. You have all the material elsewhere, but do you have it presented at that scale 
scanned from the original artwork. That right. makes it worth having, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, how many times do I need reprints of the comic book mad? I mean, I have them in those little paperbacks that came out a couple of years ago that, you know, they did a Wallywood, a Bill Elder, and a Jack Davis edition. But I love those. They're like, it's handy because they put all the stories together in one volume. So I was like, okay. (laughs) And uh, And it presents it in a new way. Yeah. I, I wish they did a fourth volume that had like everybody else, like put all the Severn material and all the other stuff that they didn't fit in the other thing, but I get what they're trying to do. But <laughs> Right. Um, well, it's funny because my brother, um, he, he loves to say that any affordable reprint volume that he can take on vacation and not worry about the condition of it yeah. is good. So we'll rebuy it because it gives us an edition that we can manhandle and read and enjoy and not worry about the condition of it. Um you know, that's another thing that uh, John and I were talking about earlier today was every successive generation has had a different way to be able to experience this material. But the fact is that the material is still out there, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, the the thing I wanted so badly, um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll sandwich this story in there because I didn't say it earlier. I My first exposure, I think I may have mentioned to you before, or on the the page on the uh, Facebook page was in Bananas magazine. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, they did a, an article about EC horror comics, and they explained yes, it was by the same guys who did Mad and blah 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 blah, you know, everything like that. And I, and but at the time, the only thing that was really out there there was the big book and the twelve issues of East Coast Comics, and that's it. And it's like. I want all of them. I want them now. <laughs> it's exactly. like, now you can get all of them. I mean, if you can't get the originals, you can get the reprints, or you can get them in uh, artist editions, or you can get the recolored editions, or, you know, however, you know. Well, that's what I, I think it's important for people to know that, uh, you know, regardless of the format that you prefer, mm-hmm. all of this material is still under copyright, and it's still in print. So... You're absolutely right. If you want to read every EC comic, you still can in multiple different ways you can experience them. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that's going to end. I think, you know, we'll, we'll always have those eureka moments where people are discovering this amazing material. Yeah. Now, um, uh, have you written anything for any other volumes? Like, uh, I don't have what is now known as the bigger book. <laughs> I don't have that yet. <laughs> uh, didn't you write something for that, too, or is that all Grant Geisman's work? No, that's all Geisman. Um, okay. John Gosselt, I mentioned earlier, he did a lot of, um, he's, he's in the acknowledgments, and um, he, he must have had some pretty intense involvement because I think Grant says something to the effect of it's a better book because of John's input. Mm-hmm. But um, I know that he was involved with a lot of the, you know, whether it was proofreading or just, just uh, kind of previewing the material and having input there. The only real vicarious mention that my brother and I got is there's there's a section about the big book where it actually says Latter-day EC fans affectionately refer to this as the big book because it's where they discovered EC, uh, or words to that effect. And Grant did confirm to me, oh, yeah, that's that's about you guys, because he didn't remember anyone ever calling it that <laughs> when, the, when the big book came out. But my brother and my nickname for it has kind of caught on, and just to see it referenced in Grant's new massive history of EC comics was... Uh, 
I have to admit, I got a little smile on my face. <laughs> well, I have, I have to admit, I never called it the big book. I just called it the Nostalgia Press <laughs> book. Uh, that impossible to find book at a decent price. No. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, the book that you can't afford. But, you know, I did finally get it. And, yeah, it is a pretty decent-sized book. And, uh, you know, but then I've seen the comparisons to – but those Tashin things, it's like um, I contributed to the Marvel Comics one that Roy Thomas did. And, yeah. I, you know, I think that one even commanded a higher price than the EC one, if I remember correctly. And I saw a copy up in the, the rare book room up in Powell's Bookstore in, in Portland, Oregon. And uh, – I flipped through it and I saw my name in there and the acknowledgments. So I quickly whipped out my camera and took a picture of that page. I said, "If I don't get the book right now, at least I can see that I got my name in the book." <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> so one of these days I'll get. You know, it's like it was just because uh, Roy uh, needed like really odds and ends weird stuff. And of course, I always have that. You know, it's like, yes. oh, oh, you need a copy of uh, Crazy Magazine? Sure. You know, oh, you need a copy of uh, Little Pals? Oh, sure, I got that. <laughs> Little okay. Kids? You know, anything really obscure Marvel's put out, I probably have it. Um, yeah. haven't, haven't done that with EC, and I'm wondering. I was going to ask you this. I mean, how extensive is your EC collection? Does it just cover all the new trend and that type of stuff, or do you go into fat and slat and international comics and uh, uh, those type a, of things as well? A few of those. I have a few of the pre-trends, yeah. and um, just because I'm not obsessively collecting them, and I come across them affordably, it's hard to resist. The new directions I have. Everything except Aces High number five I still need. Huh, so okay. my want list is, is burned in my memory. Um, the, the new trend, I have almost everything. I'm just missing Mad number one and Weird Fantasy number one. Hmm. And um, I also don't have all of Kurtzman's war comics. Hmm. So that wasn't something I was pursuing until within the last couple of years because I almost had everything out. Hmm. And then I thought... Well, uh, you know, I, I don't have the Kurtzman War stuff, and I don't want to, like, cause a mad scramble to get the Kurtzman War books, but I will tell you that they're comparatively very, very affordable compared to the horror stuff, so I am about halfway on the Kurtzman War stuff, so that's that's where I am. I have almost everything, but I'm missing, you know, a few things here and there. Mm -hmm. How about the... Um the what are the, what do they call them? There, there's some the the magazines that Feldstein did at the tail end. Uh, the Picto Fiction. Picto Fiction. Thank you. <laughs> I couldn't think of that. The Picto Fictions. I have a handful of those, and I'm I'm kicking myself because I had um I had those early on. My brother and I would buy anything with an EC emblem on it, and then when we decided that we wanted to focus strictly on the horror comics, we traded or you know we we got rid of our science fiction and picto fictions and, and panics and things that, that weren't horror, and then we ended up trying to buy all that stuff back after we completed <laughs> the horror runs. So the picto fictions I'm not complete on, and I actually had a copy of Shock Illustrated number three, Ooh. and that's that's by far the hardest one to get, right? Yeah. And um, I had that one for a while, and when I found out that, um, I keep mentioning John Gothold, but... He, I, when I found out that he had a complete collection of new trend, new direction, and picto fiction, except for that issue, I magnanimously sold him my copy for what I paid for it, <laughs> uh -huh. thinking that I would never be pursuing a full set. 
And now here we are about five years later, and I've almost closed in on a full set of everything. <laughs> so, uh, you know, sometimes I, I wistfully remember when I had that Shock Illustrated 3, but, you know, they're out there. I'm sure I'll have another chance at one someday. Yeah. That one is, the, I have all the Pictifictions, and it's a funny story about that. It was in San Diego, again, San Diego a Comic Convention, and somebody was selling all of them, except they didn't have Shock 3, and they didn't have the Confessions Illustrated magazines. Okay. But I got all the other ones, and I said, and it was, pro, it was they were fairly priced. They are like 20 30 bucks a piece or something, you know, and it's like, right. mine. <laughs> no, that's nothing. Yeah. That's very good, actually, because yeah. those have spiked in value now, too. And I haven't really seen them since, and then when the, I, I did get that Cochran set. I forgot that I did get that one when it came out, because, uh, you know, for some reason I just, you know, was the format really interested me that you know they they did something that basically failed that Warren kind of redid a few years later with creepy and eerie and made it work you know yeah it was very successful years later yeah and i always think you know it was probably the timing of it all and of course they still had their easy logo they should probably should have taken that off the cover <laughs> they should have yeah hindsight's 2020 yeah and uh i don't know i think they should have just done straight comic stories like creepy did and not do so much text it's probably too much reading well, that, for the... that um cochran set is a must-have whether or not you get any of the other cochran sets that one has 19 stories that were never published in the yeah, 50s. Yeah, and that was the reason so, why I wanted it, too, is, like, yeah, it had a lot have. of unpublished stuff. So I said, okay, <laughs> I'll dip into that yep. one. <laughs> yep, must have, must have. And, and for, actually, for a while, that was the only Cochran set that I had. Because um, I, I don't know if I already mentioned this, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but having all of the original comics in color, I couldn't see a reason to get new reprints in black and white. But then that Pictofiction set came out, and of course I did get it because it had the, all those unpublished stories. Um, that's what started my my Cochran collection, was that one set. Yeah. Well, they're beautiful, and they're big. That's the thing that's, you know, it's like, even if they were in color, you know, it's like, well, the Mad One's in color, and it's like, I still love it, yeah. you know. That's the one I reference all the time. You know, I'm not digging out my old Mads. <laughs> you know? It's funny, I had the Mad set in color for years, and when I finally scored a black and white Mad set, I sold my color one, and, um, you know, a few of my friends thought I was a complete idiot, because they thought, well, don't, why don't you want it in black and white in color? And I thought, well, I've got the original comics in color, and the black and white set matches all the rest of my EC library sets. Yeah, uh, I, I still want a tough I, one to score. I still want a black and white one. I almost had a, an opportunity to get one recently, but you know, again, I've had to put uh, other finances ahead of you know yeah. my, my own personal. Well, they're not thing. cheap when you do find. There were only a thousand black and white ones. Yeah, I so know they're, that. They're that not was, cheap. And I I don't know why I didn't know about it when it came out. You know, but it's like uh, it wasn't until years later I go, "There's a black and white one." I thought that they had to do it <laughs> in color, and there was never going to be a black and white one ever. And I go, "Oh well," except for having the old paperbacks. You know, I guess I won't see this artwork in black and white. You know, and then well, this um. <laughs> This actually came straight from us, but the only reason there was a black and white set was that Bill Gaines wanted one to match his other EC library sets. <laughs> so then Russ was like, well, well, damn it, i got to print them up. So he made them available to his charter subscribers, but it was never widely available. Yeah. 
and it never widely publicized it, never widely publicized until years later because you know I've paid attention to anything Mad's done over the years even if I couldn't afford it and I never even heard about it until years later and I go damn it my collection's yeah, not no, complete <laughs> you know? nobody knew about it <laughs> but so. yeah one of these days I'll get one some some uh, I always think and this has happened before I'll walk into some comic store one day and they'll just have it on some high shelf you know nobody's been paying attention to it and it's like oh you want it here you know and there'll be know. dust all over the top yeah. of it <laughs> <laughs> but you know <clears throat> Someday. Well, that's uh, what's so great about collecting. There's always something new to try to find. Right. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, going back to when Lee sold me the Mad Number no. 1, he says, now your collection is complete. And I go, well, no. <laughs> I mean, it's it, never complete. it is it's on never the regular <laughs> issues, but I'm still getting the current issues. And uh, do I get all the foreign Mads? Do I get, you know, do I get, like, every variation on paperbacks, which some people do? You know, I, uh, you some know. Some people do. Some people yeah. in our very group do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just found out recently, it's like uh, the one paperback of Howling Mad. Uh, apparently it has a white moon on various covers, but on one of them it has a yellow moon, and that one's worth a lot more money. It's like, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why you, you mentioned the new direction for EC, and there was that, that first issue of Impact. The yeah. first printing had a white logo. Second printing has a yellow logo. Yeah. So if you really want to be complete, you've got to have both. You know. Yeah. And, and I you know find people out that do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For all these things where you go, yes, I scored. Then you find out about something and you go, damn it, now I need that. Yeah. And then there's variations of Mad 28 with the spring cover. You know, it's like the little oh, yeah. tag in the corner. You know, it's like, jeez. <laughs> And I, I had to get them all, you know, it's like, and then, well, later, the, years later, they did the MAD, this issue of MAD 123, MAD 123 is number 1,269,000, whatever, of 2,148,000, collect them all, and it's like, you know, they only did four variations, but I had to get all four variations, so, you know, it's like, you know. It's, crazy. it's a mania. <laughs> Um, so who have you met over the years as far as original creators? Uh, did you meet Gaines ever in your travels or anything like that or anybody else? No, no, it's actually kind of funny because for as obsessed as I was with EC Comics, it never really occurred to me that I could actually reach out and meet these guys. And, <laughs> you know, it, much to my dismay, I, I, you know, my grandfather lived in Mifflintown, Pennsylvania. And for us to visit him at least twice a year when we were kids... And, and that big book would always ride on our laps in the back seat. My brother and I took it everywhere with us. And so, you know, uh, to get to Mifflintown, you had to drive through Camp Hill. And Johnny Craig lived in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. And we would ride through there at least a couple times a year with that big book on our laps, never knowing that Johnny Craig lived right there. It just, you know, I thought these guys were giants. It never occurred to me that you could reach out and just, just, contact them and um even when i started the fanatic club getting in touch with bob stewart i couldn't believe that i was actually in touch with him and when he put me in touch with larry stark i couldn't believe it and so ultimately the only original ec artist that i'm now in touch with is angelo torres because sadly everyone else is gone now. right right <laughs> and and you know it's one of those great missed opportunities because i realize now that a lot of these guys were very friendly and very willing to talk about their their history and and they were welcoming of fans and and 
I don't know if I was shy and withdrawn or if it just never occurred to me that, you know, you can reach out and find these guys. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I didn't, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a blessing to still be able to yeah. be in touch with Angelo Torres. And, and, you know, there's, there's an original EC artist still doing EC inspired art, you know, you know, it makes mm -hmm. the world a beautiful place. Right. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think I was the same way, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I thought all these guys were gods and it, it you know, and I, I had intense shyness. You wouldn't tell from me doing a podcast, but you know, this, is, <laughs> this is after years and years of interviewing a ton of people and they go, oh, okay, this works, this doesn't work and everything like that. Um, the only ones I met in person, I think, were like Russ Heath uh, and... Okay. I'm trying to think. Of, oh, Al Jaffe, I met, but he's not officially EC. He's like at the tail end of Mad, but you know. But uh... he actually, he is actually because when Mad still had an EC logo on the cover, yeah. I think he wrote something for Mad when it still had an EC logo. So you can count Al Jaffe. Yeah, he was sure. on those a couple of those last Christmas issues. He was allowed to play golf, and he had artwork in there too, or something like that. So, um, so I met him and. I missed the big reunion in 2000. I just I'd go to San Diego Comic Convention almost every year. And 2000 I just said I need a break. And that was the oh, year no. that everybody <laughs> got together. Fortunately, I have videos and stuff like that, but not the same. <laughs> that was uh, another one cuz I actually was aware of it and um you know, I was obsessively into EC at the time, but I was also in rock and roll bands at that age and I was touring around and I just I don't even remember what the conflict was, but I was like, "Oh yeah, there's a big EC thing going on, but I can't make it." Yeah. And and you don't you don't realize you know times are running out, you know. Um, but uh, it's uh, just a lot of missed opportunities. Yeah. So I tried to make amends after that. That was probably when things switched for me, which is the year 2000, because you know I said mm -hmm. I gotta I gotta talk to these guys, anybody before they're gone. So I I did talk to you know you mentioned cracked you know when I did the crack books, you know I found out wow Angela Torres and uh, Jack Davis and uh, Al Jaffe all drew for cracked very briefly, but they did, and. Uh, so I called him up, you know, and I talked to him on the phone, and both Therese and uh, Chaffee said, I never worked for Cracked. <laughs> so, so I had to send them copies of their work, and uh, they said, oh, I guess I did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I was there. So, and then when I talked to Davis, he was a sweetheart, but, you know, and supposedly he never said had a bad thing to say about anything, but he did about Cracked. He said... You know, I, I tried to work for Cracked, but they didn't pay enough. I had to go. You know, it's like, so. uh, I, I love how candid these guys can be sometimes. You know. Yeah. Because yeah. there's no malice. It's just it's just them kind of telling you how it is. Yeah. The only ones I wish I met because I'm the mad. I'm more the mad guy. Obviously, is uh, oh, I did meet Feldstein. He's really nice, even though you know, uh, people have said he's really crotchety and stuff. But I think I got him on a he, he good day. He could be, but I think he got over that. I, I think yeah, I got him on a good day. But also, you know, yeah. he, he, he was marveling at some of my knowledge about MAD. I said, I remember seeing you on the Mike Douglas show in 1978. And he goes, you watched that? <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> it was for MAD's 25th anniversary, and you were on there. And I, I told him what he said, and he says, son of a gun. You know, it's like, wow. So he's like my buddy after that because he's, you know, he didn't think anybody saw that show. You know? That's awesome. <laughs> um, 
but uh, um, I wish yeah. I met Kurtzman and Elder. Those are the two, you know, but oh well. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sergio we run into out here every oh, once yeah, in a while. Sergio so he's not, a, of course, an EC guy, but a mad guy, but he's 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 always bopping around, and he's, he's always super, super fast. Like, every time, I don't think he remembers me from the last time he saw me, but he always acts like he does, and that makes me feel good. Yeah. Well, he was the first <laughs> mad guy I ever met. Um, he came to, I, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and um, yeah. he came to a local bookstore that's long gone in 1978, and I was in heaven. I didn't care who it was. He, you know, he was, you know, probably my second favorite guy on Mad, because I love Don Martin, of course, and I met Don yeah. Martin, too, at one point, but, uh, you know, it's like... Uh, you know, at 12 years old, is like, ah, uh, <laughs> Sergio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I years later I met him again, and I told him I met him when I was, like, uh, 12 years old at this bookstore. And he acted like he remembered me. You know, he probably didn't, but, you know, he's giving me lip service. Exactly, but it makes you feel great, you know. But here's the kicker, and this is an absolutely true story, so I have to tell you this. Nobody's going to ask <laughs> me this. Uh, so... I was in line at this, it is a bookstore called The Booksellers, it was just called The Booksellers, that was the name of it, and uh, uh, there's a person taking pictures for the newspaper, and uh, the guy took a picture, I don't know who took the picture, but uh, took a picture of uh, this mother and her kid in line right in front of me, and it made it into the paper, and I still have the article now, you know. Anyway, flash forward probably 20 years, 25 years maybe, and I'm seeing Sergio, which I've seen many times, in San Diego, and I'm just chit-chatting with him and everything like that. And this tall guy and this very elderly mother of his walks up with this clipping, the same exact clipping, and he says, this is oh me when I was 10 years old, and this is my mother, and she's here now. And I told him, I said, you know where I am in this picture? And they go, where? Right behind, right out of frame. I'm right behind you guys. <laughs> no way! You know, and it's like, it was true. Because <laughs> I remember when they took the photo, you know, and it's like, and I, and I knew it was them, and I was right behind them, and it's like, I was kind of hoping I'd get in the shot. But Stranger uh, than fiction. Didn't. Have you ever posted that? You must have posted that. That story? Um, I've have told, you posted that? That story? I don't know if I've told it, or, uh, I might have put it on my blog <laughs> once, I don't know, but I mean, you know, it's like. It's, that's, a, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, and just, the, I happen to be talking with Sergio, and they happen to show up, you know, it's the same time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Very uh, cool. So, um, well, uh, we've been talking over an hour. I just, uh, <laughs> we could probably talk for hours here. Um, Probably. And, <laughs> you mentioned some of the other projects coming up, but are there any other writing projects besides the uh, the EC uh, artist editions or anything else that you're working on? Well, or? unfortunately, those artist editions have been delayed now, so the big one that's coming up that's EC-related is the EC Covers Artists Edition, and um, Scott Dunbeer, who edits those things, has landed many, many covers that have not been presented before, oh. so it's going to be one of those, like, you know, Grant's book is a big event. It's kind of a happening, and everybody who gets their copy posts about it, and it's it's a must-have book. And I think the next one is probably going to be the EC Artist Edition covers mm -hmm. book. And um, 
I did write the introduction for that. Okay. So, you know, that was going to be out for SDCC, which, of course, it didn't happen this year. I don't know if you noticed, but 2020 has been a little weird. Yes. And um, <laughs> <laughs> um, So it's been pushed back because all of those artist editions have been pushed back. I think there's an X-Men volume and there's a few things coming. So the EC one is, I think it's a few months down the road now, but um, I, I am confident in saying that that one's going to be the next huge must-have EC publication because it's going to be all covers, all scanned at full size. You know, it's, it's like we talked about earlier, it's going to be the next best thing to seeing the original art. And he has landed a lot of covers that um, I don't want to give anything away, mm-hmm. but it's going to be it's going to be a fantastic collection. And um, I think uh, in addition to, well, it's not news to you that EC Comics no longer has the rights to Mad Magazine, right? Or Mad Comics. It's all DC now and right. Warner Brothers. Right. But. There may be a little madness in the next EC artist edition. <laughs> that's that's all I'm going to say. Okay, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> so look forward to that. All right. Well, I really enjoyed talking with you. If people want to get in contact with you or uh, join the Facebook page, how do they, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, well, the EC Fan Addicts Club on Facebook, I think we're at like 6.6 thousand members now, but um, you can get in touch with me directly through there and be one of the, one of the um, maybe 50 people out of that 6.6 thousand that's not just a lurker. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I do try, you know, because I, 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 I kind of, uh, I value my position as the EC answer man, so I'm very open to uh, any kind of questions, any comments, anything, you know, anything you want to know about EC, just ask me. I, much to my wife's chagrin, I'm always <laughs> available to, to talk EC. So, um, but the EC Fanatic Club on Facebook is probably the best way. I've got an EC Fanatic channel on YouTube as well. Cool. Um, and actually, I'm also EC Fanatic on Instagram. So <laughs> across the major social media platforms, you can find me as EC Fanatic. Very cool. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tommy, for being my special guest today. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. I mean, there's always something to talk about. Maybe when the next book comes out, I'll call you again about this. Absolutely. I might hold you to that. Okay. Uh, I knew this was going to be fun, but it was even more fun than I thought. Hey, cool. <laughs> That's what people try to say, and I try to make it fun and make it easy. It's like, hey, it's just like a, a long-distance phone call from an old friend, you know? It's like, and we'll just shoot the breeze, you know? But the breeze is about Thanks, easy. Mark. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Tommy Burns, for being my special guest. And episode number 95 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas Podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2020, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you, and good night. Headed home to a cardboard hut with duct tape doors. At the price I'm paying, 
Don't fall back Don't fall back Don't fall back 